Go on then. What are we watching? Oh, what about... Uh... In the... Uh, with Sky Stream. The new way to get Sky without a dish. Stream unmissable Sky exclusives like True Detective and Netflix shows like The Gentleman all in one place. For just €25 a month for 12 months. Search Sky Stream today. New customers only. 12-month minimum term requires broadband. Further terms apply. At Zurich Pensions, we believe small actions can have great impact, like attention to detail that leads to great numbers. 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21 and 22. Years Brokers Ireland awarded us investment excellence. Visit Zurich.ie or talk to a financial broker about topping up your pension. Zurich Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Throw-In with me, Sinead Kassan. Well, they've done it. Meath have won back-to-back All-Ireland Senior Football titles. They beat Kerry 3-10 to 1-7 at Crow Park on Sunday to retain the Brendan Martin Cup. Now, former Mayo star Cora Staunton and the Irish Independent's Donica Boyle will be here to review that final. The senior inter-county season is set to come to a close this Sunday with the All-Ireland Senior Camogie final between Cork and Kilkenny. Ursula Jacob is going to preview that finale for us. But first, we start with the unstoppable Meath and their two in a row, a nine-point win for them over Kerry. Um, Cora, Meath had to come through a few tight games in the run into this All-Ireland final, but did they save their best for last? Yeah, I think they, they saved their best to last, surely, Sinead, but I think it was a, a typical Meath performance, what we were probably expecting them um, of them, um, certainly from a defensive point of view, um, you know, only conceding, I think, was 1-7 in the in the end to Kerry. Um, yeah, they probably they probably scored um, a couple more goals than they than they usually do. But yeah, I thought it was a very typical Meath performance. Their defensive system was certainly back in, um, you know, back to their strongest that it has been all year. And yeah, they're just, yeah, as I said, um, in, in the Independent on Monday, it was just a very much uh, typical Meath performance. And, you know, it's their defensive style of play that they've kind of nurtured over the last five years that has really stu- stood them really strong. And, and that's the basis for, the, for their win again in this um, second All-Ireland. Yeah, Donica, Eamon Murray mentioned that after the game and Cora mentioned there about the defensive system. And he said, quote, Kerry probably thought during the week that they know all about our system and how we play. Dublin thought the same last year, but when you hit this system, you know all about it. So, Donica, that's the thing about this Meath team. You think you know what's com- coming. You think you might know how to stop them, but it's another thing then entirely trying to do it. Yeah, and, and Eamon has a habit of, of not really mincing his words uh, in fairness when he tells you exactly what he's thinking. And, and I think that seems to be the, the experience of most teams that come up. You know what Meath are going to do. You know they're going to get bodies back. You know they're going to try and hit you hard on the counter-attack. And, um, you know, uh, but knowing it and trying to stop it is, is, are two very different things. And I think the most impressive thing about them, particularly in the second half, the, their transition was really impressive. You know, they worked the ball to the right people. You know, Vicky Wall had a, a hand in one of those goals. and She carries the ball so well and so fast that, um, you know, it's very hard to defend against that. So they're, um, they're, they are, they've certainly moved the ladies' game on, I think, in a direction that, I think other teams might have to follow now. And we saw it in the men's game that, you know, it took, it took a while for teams to figure it out. I think teams will figure it out eventually. It's like everything that has its time. But but right now they are the market leaders in, in, in doing it. And it's very hard for people to try and figure out. Yeah, Cora, what impressed you in particular about Mead's performance on Sunday? 
Yeah, I suppose like any any performance, a lot of the time, you know, the forwards probably grab the headlines and, you know, I could tell you that. But to me, again, I just thought their defensive system and in particularly their half-back line, I thought they were the basis for everything good that they've done, um, certainly from a defensive point of view and getting back. But um, as Donica said, their, their transition play and how quickly they could do it was, was awesome. And I just thought their half-back line... In particular, Evie Cleary and Emma Troy, and obviously Evie Leahy until she went off, which looked a serious enough knee injury. But I just thought, in, in particularly Evie Cleary, she was up and down the pitch. Um, you know, if you, you could see her GPS stats and what distance she covered, she was the fulcrum of so many of them attacks. And Emma Troy, to a little bit of a lesser extent, she obviously came up and kicked 1 1. But I just thought everything good came through them in their transition period. And sometimes, obviously, they talk about, obviously, Vicky Wall and Emma Duggan, and they're crucial to that mead team. And, and, and Vicky, in, in particular, with her you know, driving runs. But I just thought their half-back line was immense. And both from a defensive point of view and a transition point of view, um, both Emma Troy and even, even uh, Cleary were just absolutely awesome. I just thought that's where they have really, really improved um, from this time last year. Yeah, Neve O'Sullivan, Sinead, got player of the match and like one, two, you know, obviously very, very significant contribution. But I agree with Cora, for me, even Cleary was an incredible performance. Um, like sort of Sean Ogdebuer and his pomp sort of stuff, carrying the ball up the, up the field. Like it was just just brilliant. The only thing, that she, she had two wides in the second half and you were nearly willing her to score to cap the, a brilliant Crow Park performance. Um, but she was absolutely extraordinary along with Emma Troy. But for me, even Cleary w- w- was clearly the player of the match for me now I was really impressed with her and as Cora said like the job she does for the team and and that half back line in general but the job she did for the team on the day was just extraordinary just her ability to carry the ball and she seemed to pop up everywhere as well like I'd like to see her stats for breaking balls and high balls contested like she did a little bit of everything except kick a point she did pretty much everything else she was really really impressive now, look, it has been a good year for Kerry. They they won the Division 2 title. They're up to Division 1 next year. But what regrets will they have, Cora, after that game? Yeah, and I, I suppose I spoke about it, uh, you know, pre, or, uh, pre-match about, you know, I thought they probably had enough shooters and, and people that could, you know, get around this um, mead defence. And, and when I say shooters, it's probably shooters that can kind of maybe score from that kind of outside the D, the 30, 35 yard. But they just time after time when something isn't working you you, you kind of have to change it. but at time after time I, I i think i counted six if not seven times that the turnover from the mead defense by just running the ball into a wall of mead, mead defenders and they knew that's what they were going to come up with so at times i just think and especially in the second half they they lacked a little bit of patience and that little bit of composure when they couldn't you know drive through that attack that they, they didn't recycle the ball and hold on to it so they did have opportunities that's the thing now me did have more opportunities and and probably missed a lot more than them but they will regret that you know they knew going in that was Mead's style of play that they didn't have something or didn't have shooters coming around in the loop the likes of the Louise Emerhartic or Paris McCarthy or even Chief Rocher they just didn't have them come around the loop. They were just ru- uh, running up blind alleys a lot of the time and the ball was being turned over. And if you look at the two week goals in the second half, they came from really poor carry turnovers in, in the in the full forward line that worked their way all the way up um, to, to, to goal chances. And realistically, it was the two goals at the end of the day in the second half that killed Kerry. They're right in it until then, but the game kind of really phased out after that. 
Yeah, I suppose, Cora, the, the bittersweet nature of this win for me is that change is coming now. I mean, we know Vicky Wall and Orla Lally head off to Australia to start their AFLW careers. Emma Troy is also due to be unavailable next year. She's due to go travelling. There's going to be apparently some changes too in the back in the backroom team. You know, Eamon Murray said that they're probably good enough to win three or four All-Irelands in a row, but they won't. And look, best luck to Vicky Wall and Orla Lally. But this Meath team is changing. So it's, and it's not just a loss for me, it's a loss for the game, although maybe not their opposition teams in next year's All-Ireland. But, you know, it, it, you know, it is bittersweet because they will be losing a few people for next year. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if you're a team and if you look at ladies football in, you know, the Dublins and the Corks that were there, um, you know, over the last kind of decade and a half and the legacy that they left, Cork in particular, in all they won, um, and Dublin obviously with their kind of four in a row, um, you know, when you get these opportunities and, and me, the ladies know well, these opportunities or these type of teams don't come along that often. And you can see that's why Eamon Murray is probably really annoyed because he knows now he's going to lose some of these players and um, whether it's to obviously AFL or it's just uh, girls taking a break. Um, you know, I, I think the, he probably realizes that, you know, Mead ladies to go on a really strong run isn't going to happen, you know, every decade. It's, you know, um, Kerry ladies are a great example. The last time they were in the All-Ireland was 10 years ago. So it doesn't happen year in, year out, even though I know it's five All-Irelands between intermediate and senior that they've been in. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, certainly a loss. And, and obviously, Evie Leahy's injury... Um, um, in the All-Ireland final didn't look great um, now I'm not sure what, is, what has come back as yet but that certainly looked like it didn't look a good one if you lose four of four of them players they're, they're all key players to a team and, and you can see the bench that they've used over the last kind of two All-Ireland finals they've only ever kind of used two to three subs so they're obviously just don't have that strong panel so it's really going to be tested but I suppose it gives teams um, that are getting ready for pre-season probably again in another couple of me- months time the likes of the Donegals the Armas, the Galways the Mayos it gives them hope um, even you know the Dublins and Cork that you know this team can be knocked off and they have a great chance of getting to an All-Ireland final. Donica you were around you know the management the team afterwards what did you sense afterwards because you know I mean they just won their second in a row Let- let's not go too far ahead but it is going to be a different test for this Meads team next year. Yeah, Eamon Murray is emotional. He said as much himself because he, you know, he sort of, he said to be back and, and Oral Lally said afterwards to be back as well to, to play. But, you know, Cora actually flagged this back in May and it probably didn't really, because it was just in the middle of the two, the, the all the, the, both the men's and the women's championship up and running, maybe it didn't get the uh, the attention it deserved. But Cora flagged in May that, you know, next year there probably won't be a choice for girls who want to go to the AFLW. It, it, with just the way the scheduling is, it might have to be one or the other. Like the scenario where you have now where, where Vicky and um, Orla are heading out, I think the pre-season uh, games have started there this weekend and and um, the games, the, the season proper was like four weeks away. You know, that that's a very tough situation for someone to transition in, in from an All-Ireland final to a completely new code. So, you know, Mead mightn't be the only ones to lose out in this by the time this rolls around. You just don't know. And, you know, will girls come home? Will they stay out there? You know, the preseason started this year in June, I think, Coral was it. So that's when clubs who are now, and, and the, the money has gone through the roof, so they're putting significant investment in players and they're going to want them out in good time. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that, that affects the championship. So I think you might see uh, a scenario where you have some of the leading counties without some of their leading lights, which is, which for the ladies game in particular, the timing's pretty bad because, you know, it's been on an up and up since really that Dublin Cork rivalry had some record crowds going north of 50,000. 
And if Dublin have fallen off a little bit and they were bringing maybe the bulk of the crowds, if they've fallen off the pace, the team that replaced them is Mead, who again are on the doorstep of Crow Park. And it's easy for people to go to games. It gets the finals, the showpiece events, gets all the attention. And it, it was going really well. But then for the likes of Vicky Wall, who's probably the most recognisable figure in the game now, is she back next year? If so, when will she come back? You know, it's uh, it, it's just it's just bad timing for the ladies' game when it is on the crest of a wave that some of their best players might be going elsewhere, and uh, it just it, it's the kind of thing that that the game could just do without. Like obviously, no one begrudges them, but just from the the greater good point of the game, I think it's 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 unfortunate timing. How do you think she'll get on, actually, Cora, at Vicky Wall? I mean, we'll have to see how, you know, you know if, if she's ready for the AFLW, but is the AFLW ready for Vicky Wall as well? That's a very good question. I definitely think she's ready for the AFLW. Maybe the other way around, I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, no, I think she'll, she'll get on fine. There will be a little bit of a transition period for her. Um, you know, I know she's, I think she's due out Friday. So that's three weeks um, from, from round one that weekend. So yeah, we're, we're three weeks, just over three weeks away from, from round one, which, you know, by the time she gets out and gets settled, she's probably going to have just under, you know, probably around two, two and a half weeks of, of to getting to know the game, which is, which is quite difficult. I know I, I done something similar myself the first year I came out because Carnegie had got to the All-Ireland final. So, yeah, there is obviously a transition period and, you know, she's physically well able for the game and athletically well able for the game. It's just everything else. It's learning the structures and the rules and and all of that. Um, but, you know, they'll simplify it very much for her, put in a role that's probably the simplest role that they can put her in. But, yeah, no, I, I think the both girls um, and all the other girls that have, are coming out as well will do perfectly well. I suppose the sad thing is, I suppose, to understand it, you know, Vicky is now contracted for two years to, to North Melbourne. So in, essentially, this is her job. So, yeah, while she'd love to play next year. Maybe she might play some of the time. Um, you know, pre-season started June this year. It'll go back probably two to three weeks earlier for the next couple of years. So it's probably going to start mid-May um, next year. So, you know, they'll want her out because she won't have got much of... Um, a lesson they might even want her to stay to, to learn the game better um, and that's where you're under pressure because you're now contracted I know she signed a two-year contract and so did Orla Lally so that's the, the thing while you think you might be able to come home and, and play till July and then go out the season will start earlier again next year so matches might start at the end of August because there'll be more games so there's all of that so that's where I worry that they won't be able to manage to play both because you could see what uh, a lot of the girls that didn't play this year the likes of Sarah Rowe the Kellys, um, the Kelly sisters, um, they're under pressure from their clubs to come back out. And these are experienced players that, have, in, in terms of AFLW, that have played three or four seasons with their clubs. But they're under pressure to come out and had to make a decision um, between Mayo and, and, and um, playing with their clubs. Where Rachel Kearns from Mayo, DeLong, give her the license to stay and, and, and play um, for, 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 for Mayo this season. But, you know, they're... They, 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 essentially they're, they're in control of you because you signed your contract and the contracts are 12 months long and in Vicky and Orla's cases they're, they're on two-year contracts so that's where I worry about them being able to go back and, and playing for Meads it's different this season because they're just about to start on their AFL journey yeah, just a quick one before we wrap, just on the rules. Again, you know, I was there at Crow Park on Sunday. A lot of frustration with the amount of frees being given and, you know, what Maggie Farley gave. But look, you know, them's the rules. It's a non-contact sport. Like, and for the second game in a row, we had Vicky Wall again finishing the game on the sideline after she got a yellow. Dunnick, I saw the, you had an interview with Vicky this morning in this morning's paper when she spoke about it and said um, there's a lot of ambiguity about, around what a tackle is in ladies football at the moment and this idea of non-contact, which is just, I think, nonsense at this 
stage, she she said. So I'm sure you could have felt her frustration there. Yeah, I, I actually asked that question because you watched Vicky in the second half and obviously she was walking on thin ice and, and um, uh, she sort of wasn't really engaging at all really around the tackle because she was sort of, you know, which I think she knew she was, she was she was on the brink and um and then when you when you saw when you saw when she was uh, given the yellow card and she's walking the line you heard the booze and i think it's a combination of things it's it's sort of like frustration with the rules uh, and maybe maybe a lot of people think they're watching gaelic football as well as opposed to the the rule books as per ladies football so but i think everyone and core would be better brief to talk to this but i think everyone would like to see a shift Towards the physicality, like uh, Anna Galvin said it in in the in the captain's day last Tuesday. She said, "Look, let us add it. Like you know, we're big girls. We can mind ourselves. Let us add it." And I think for the game itself, uh, it, it's just the the closer it moves to Gaelic football. I think it I think it works for everyone. Um, I'd be interested to hear what Cora thinks of it. But uh, I, anyone I've spoken of over the last couple of years, Eamon Murray probably actually one exception. He 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 wasn't necessarily in favour of it, but most other people who are involved in the game want to see it. Uh, want to see the physicality let go, and I, I think like that's, I think that's one of the great traits of of Gaelic football. So the closer we move to that, I think the more attractive the game becomes for people. Cora, yeah, I, I certainly agree, Donica. I suppose you know this is an argument going on for, for me. I, you know, I've spoken about this probably ten years ago. I think that the 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 girls are the players that are more physically stronger, the ones being punished, and I certainly don't see that should be the case. And we're we're in an era now where strength conditioning and um, you know, fitness training and all that has gone through the roof. You know, it's all about gym programs and getting yourself uh, physically right for the game. And when you play, when I tell people Gaelic football is latest Gaelic football is non-contact sports, you know, they, they just can't believe that. It, it's not non-contact. It's just non-contact by by say in, in the rule book. But if you watch the game, it's not. Um, and yeah, I was very frustrated watching the game to, you know, to see there wasn't the flow that was let go. The All-Ireland previous to that, the, the Dublin Mead All-Ireland, I can't even remember who was refereeing it, but he let everything go that day and there was such a flow to the game. And that's what supporters want to see. They want to see that. Um, as I said, girls are training five, six, seven nights a week. Um, and I can see Vicky's frustration. I probably had the same frustrations myself when I was playing. Um, but I think the reason that, um, and I could be wrong, this is my um, rationale behind it. I think the reason ladies um, Gaelic football hasn't bringing in the contact element to sport is because there's girls probably that come into the game a lot younger than their male counterparts. So if you're over the age of um, 16 or out of the under 16 age group, then you can play senior football. So there's probably girls that maybe there are 16, 17, 18, there aren't as physically developed as maybe a Vicky Wall or a girl that's maybe in, in their mid-20s. So maybe that's the reason. And that's, as I said, my only rationale that there's, there's a fear that there could be um, different physical levels of girls because of the, the, the varying age gap. There could be a 16 or 17-year-old girl on the team as, as compared to a, a 25, 26-year-old um, that's fully developed. But it is frustrating, you know, and I've seen all the, the games to date this, this season. And Vicky Wall, at times, you have to say, you feel that she's been targeted and just because she's physically strong, it, that shouldn't be a reason that, you know, that they have to, you know, her, she's been, you know, she's been fouled. If people aren't physically as strong as her and not able to stop her, well, that's, you know, that's not Vicky Wall's fault. That's the the, the fault of the opponent or, or the rule book. So, yeah, I certainly think that that non-contact element of the sport has to go and the rules has to change for ladies football and it should be made more like the men. Uh, there was one point you made, um, sorry, that that I think it was might have been straight from the throw-in that um, Vicky Wall went to break a tackle and she was tripped, essentially, and the free was given against her. 
and you could hear the confusion in the stands. You could hear the, you know, no one quite, because again, a lot of people think they're watching Gaelic football and, and maybe not as exposed to the rules of the ladies game. You could hear the confusion and the frustration with it. And, and just going back to that point Cora made about, you know, the physical condition of girls coming in maybe at 60 not being ready, like Anna Galvin made the point during the week that, you know, she went in with Kerry first. I think she was involved in that final in 2012. And she made the point that when she went in first, she couldn't, she was in uh, doing a, a rep. She couldn't lift the bar on its own. She could not lift the bar for a bench press. And now, obviously, that's changed. They've all come along physically so much more. So Cora's probably right, but I would say certainly at the top end of the game, it certainly appears to me that the conditioning has gone through the roof and that I think Anna, Gal- Anna said that, look, if you, if you couldn't do that, you, you know, you wouldn't be, if you were in that shape now, you wouldn't be near a county team or you'd certainly be put on a programme before you could get to a team that'd be up near the top level. So like those, those conditioning levels, are, it, it looks to me, certainly the last four or five years have soared and probably like everything else will continue to soar. So um, I think, yeah, the, the, that is the next evolution for, for ladies Gaelic football is, is the contact element. Yeah, and I, I, cleaning up exactly what that is. Before I ask you and catch you on the hop by asking you your footballer of the year in a second, Cora, just a very quick word, like, you know, great day for women's sport on Sunday, obviously Mead winning. And, um, you know, you saw England then winning the Euros, the huge profile, the huge coverage given over. It's, it is going to another level, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I suppose, you know, it's it's, it's probably about time. Um, I suppose there's been so much talk about it and um, we've been fighting for so much, um, you know, over the last, you know, two decades probably. And yeah, it's great. Um, I actually watched the I watched the women's soccer, um, even though it was the middle of the night over here after after the All Ireland final. And it was just the occasion. I, you know, these are the occasions. If I was at home, that you'd love to be at. I just think it's it's smashing. And I, I suppose I'm here in an environment here in Australia where women's sport is is so covered so well in the media it's you know there's so much you know every week that you could be at something different if it's you know if it's aflw if it's not soccer it's um you know it's um, netball there's so much there's so much for women's sport and they get so much coverage and to see that it's happening the other side of the world i know the women's world cup um for soccer is here in in, in australia next year um you know and it's the, the buzz around all of that the buzz around female sport here is, is amazing and it's great to see that that's filtered to the other side of the world Good stuff. Uh, John, I'll throw to you first. Obviously, Vicky Wall won Footballer of the Year last year. Who does your, who, who are you calling it for this year? Well, based on the heroics in the quarterfinal and the semifinal, um, I, I, Emma Duggan for me, uh, now, it wasn't her best display in the final on Sunday. Um, Neva Sullivan's been very consistent for me. Like, I think you're looking at me. I think that, that that's pretty clear. Um, um it's very tricky to know, I think, because like Emma, I thought Emma, you know, it, it, it's the, the All-Ireland final is probably worth double or treble, isn't it? You know, when it comes to deciding who's going to be the footballer of the year. But like that point Emma Duggan got against Galway to win, it was a 14 seconds. It hit the bar and went over. It was the perfect score. And then again, I think when Vicky Wall has gone off the, the pitch in the semi-final, I think she got three points in the last 10 minutes. So, I, as I say, her final performance wasn't brilliant, but I'd probably plump for her. Um on the base that she rescued me twice. Yeah, absolutely. What do you reckon, Cora? Yeah, I, I think um, Emma Duggan is certainly the front runner. Um, I think her performance actually at the weekend was just different. Um, she didn't have that scoring prowess or threat that she had other other um, in other games, and especially in the two, the quarter and the semi. But I actually thought she actually played a very good game. 
Um, you know, she knew that she probably wasn't getting on the ball in the forward half, but I actually think she became nearly like a quarterback for me. She was involved in so many turnovers, particularly in the second half, all around midfield and around her in around the centre back area. I actually thought she became kind of the general, the quarterback in the second half, and that takes, you know, if if you're scoring forward, that takes. Someone to say, you know, I'm going to play a little bit of a different role. And I think they, they did that in the second half with her. She, I actually thought her performance on Sunday, while it was a different role, was very good. So, yeah, she's front runner. But again, I, in some way, I, I don't know if you could have a, a, a group of the, of, of the year. But I think they need the halfback line. And Emma Troy and even Cleary in particular. Emma Troy was so close to footballer the year last year. She just smashed the year last year. And I just think these them two girls in particular probably are not going to get it. But to me, I'd have either of them as well um, in the conversation because um, that's what the basis of the Mead team is, is, is based on. It's that um, kind of back six. But that half back line is crucial to that Mead team. And, and maybe when if Emma Troy does uh, go travelling next year and she's not there, maybe they'll see the loss that she really is to them. Okay, Cora and Donica, thanks for joining me. Now, it's Cork against Kilkenny in the All-Ireland Senior Camogie Final on Sunday at Croke Park. Unlike the football, there will be new champions in the Camogie after last year's winners. Galway were beaten by Kilkenny in the semi-final. Ursula, first, Galway gone at the semi-final stage, beaten 113 to 12 points by Kilkenny. Was that a surprise to you? I'm not surprised that it was a close game and Kilkenny came out on top, but I would have been tipping Galway to reach the final. And I, at the start of the year, felt that they probably had the strongest panel uh, and were going to maybe, it was going to be their best chance to do the back-to-back. Um, but credit to Kilkenny, you know, every time we doubt a Kilkenny team, whether it's Hurling or Camogie, they seem to kind of have this chip on their shoulder and they want to, to, to prove a point. So it was a fantastic semi-final performance. I do think the fact that they uh, played the quarterfinal the week before against Dublin, they had that kind of momentum going into the semi-final, whereas I felt Galway looked a little bit cold going into the semi-final. But it was a massive team performance. You know, if you look at the Kilkenny team, they're down five big names from last year's final. You know, you take three of their defenders. You've got Colette Darmer, Kellyanne Doyle, Davina Tobin, Megan Farrell, Aoife Doyle. That's five. That's a third of your team gone. But how Brian Dowling has kind of rebuilt the team and made some key positional switches uh, has made the Kilkenny team, and in particular, their, their defence, really strong. You mentioned the players that he's without, but obviously Julianne Malone is back. Without a doubt. And to me, I think a lot of people underrate, you know, don't even realise how good of a player Julianne is. I would have worked with her down in WIT with, with Ashburn Cup, and she's a fantastic player a brilliant person. She struggled with injuries as well. She had a a serious knee injury a couple of years ago, but back in, I think it was 2016 when Kilkenny won the the All-Ireland, she was player of the match that day. And the same, the last day against Galway, she got four brilliant points from play and it was her work rate as well. That's what she brings to the attack because she's able to cover a lot of ground up and down the wing. And she nearly goes unnoticed because sometimes teams focus on the likes of Denise Gall, Miriam Walsh, and she just seems to get herself in the right position at the right time and she's a brilliant player and Cork are going to have to do serious minding on her on Sunday. So how has the manager though managed to get over the fact that they lost a third of their team from last year? Well I I, I, 
I have huge admiration for the Kilkenny team and management that they stuck with it. They've um, brought in some new girls into the team and that has definitely strengthened it. And obviously having Julianne back, who has that experience and leadership. Now, in saying that, you are looking at some of the, the more experienced players to drive this on. You know, you've Grace Walsh moved back into the full back line and that's really been pivotal for Kilkenny, I feel, because... When you're after losing a couple of big names in defence, you have to get the spine of your defence really, really right. And for me, Kilkenny have done that. Um, Grace Walsh and Claire Field and Fallen centre-back have huge amount of experience. And they kind of bring in the players around them, like the Michelle Tians, T- uh, Tiffany Fitzgerald, Neve Daly, all of these guards. But they're growing with kind of confidence too because they're unbeaten in league and championship this year. We kind of forget that, that Kilkenny... Haven't got beaten in the league. They drew a cork in the league earlier in, in the year. Uh, they only lost out on the, reaching the league final due to score difference. So um, I, 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 I only when I'm actually saying it out loud, I've probably maybe said, oh, Kilkenny, I don't think they're going to do much this year because they're missing so many players. But again, they're proving everyone wrong. And that's just that's how you typify Kilkenny, really. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other side, Cork had a right battle with Waterford as well in their semi-final. They had to come back from a five-point deficit in the second half and only hit the front for the first time four minutes from the end of normal time to eventually win by five points. What did you take from Cork in that semi-final win? Yeah, look, Cork will know they they can't go any game 24 minutes without scoring. And, And that would be a worry. But for me, it was the ideal semi-final for Cork because if it had been an easy game, people would say, ah, yeah, you know, Cork or Cork, or Cork they, everyone expected them in the final. But they really had to fight for this one and to come from behind and to score the last eight points of the game uh, was really, really impressive. Now, obviously, the huge turning moment in the game was the introduction of Ashling Thompson and her influence and role on the team. But it was much more than that as well because... Like I, I, one thing that stood out for me was the Cork defense, in particular in the second half. They were they they just really stifled the the Waterford attack, and that was really impressive. Waterford didn't score for the last fifteen minutes, and Cork then got into their flow a little bit more. Um, and some of the girls, the younger girls in the forwards, came in, in came into their own. But I think it's an ideal position for Cork going into the final. They know that they got through that tough game and they know they've lots to work on in advance of the final too. You mentioned Ashling Thompson there. She successfully um, appealed her, her ban that morning and then was brought on after the fast start by Washford. What exactly did she do to get Cork back on track? What did she well, look her presence alone around the center of the field, but also she she's so athletic and strong, she's able to cover a huge amount of ground. So she was like an added foil to the half back line for Cork. So it allowed the likes of Laura Tracy to sit back at, at center back, and Ashling was sweeping across that half back line. So the ball that was going in, into the inside Waterford line wasn't going in as much because she was she was stopping that. But then also one thing that Cork were missing in those first 20, 25 minutes was the delivery of the ball that was going in. Ashling is a very intelligent player that she her she seems to have that extra second to look up and find the player in space. And if you look at the first point that Cork got on the board, she set it up. She hit the ball into space into Katrina Mackey. And, you know, she instinctively knew where Katrina was as well. So that's what a player like her will bring to the team. Um, and they're going to need a, a massive performance from her and Hannah Looney at midfield on Sunday, because I think that's going to be a key area for both teams. 
And just looking at the Cork team, obviously, you know, they've Davey fits on board and you know him, your, your RT colleague. I, I read this morning that Cork manager um, at Chitumi said he asked 17 coaches to join his backroom team before getting Davey Fitz on board. And he said it was just really frustrating and stressful and that it was a stroke of luck that um, Fitzgerald was able to join his team. So I can only imagine how stressful that was for him. What, what's he doing, um, Ursula, Davey Fitz, do you feel, to this uh, Cork women's camogie team? Well, look, I, I think it's brilliant to have a character like Davy involved, you know, and I've I've spoken to him a few times over the summer about it. And he says openly how much he really thoroughly enjoys the, the experience, the challenge uh, and working with the girls. And he said the commitment levels that they're bringing is, is really amazing. So he's going to bring that confidence and self-belief. And also he's been there, done that with so many teams now before. And if you look at Cork in the last two years, you know, the last two times they've reached the final in Crow Park, they lost the the league final earlier this year and they lost the All-Ireland final last year. So he's going to be putting that into their mind, you know, going into Sunday that they don't want to lose a third final in a row in Crow Park in the last two years. So it's going to be a real challenge and he knows that Kilkenny are going to be a massive team. But again, Davy loves playing Kilkenny, whether it's at Harlan or Camogie. Yeah, I wonder will he have the Maiwadi out for the players like he did with the, <laughs> with the Clare team a few he, years ago? Look, Davy could have anything up his sleeve and, and that's, <laughs> that's part and parcel of what Davy brings to it. But I'm sure there'll be lots of animated bodies on the sideline on Sunday. So look, look at look at the final then, Ursula. Like, where is the winning and losing of this game? What what are the key key areas for you? Well, definitely, I I would feel around the middle of the field is always going to be a key area, as we've already mentioned, Ashling Thompson, um, and then her you know her sidekick and partner in crime is Hannah Looney, and Hannah probably had a quieter game in the semi final than you know what we're used to seeing from her. So I expect a massive performance out of both of those players. Um and they're vital to the Cork attack because they they're the kind of link between defense and the attack. And they're also well capable of scoring from distance. So I do think Kilkenny are going to have to be very mindful of that. And there's been a, a nice bit of shuffling with the Kilkenny midfield in the last few games. You know, you've you've seen Katie Power, Laura Murphy. Um, so it's it's trying to settle on the two players that are going to pick up Ashling Thompson and Hannah Looney. But probably the most interesting kind of matchup for me is Libby Coppicher and Miriam Walsh. Libby to me was probably player of the match in that semi-final. I thought she was outstanding. She really didn't allow any ball go past that full back line. And Miriam, while she's so physically strong, again, I know her on a personal level and she's a fantastic player. Um, and she she seems to have one thing on her mind when she gets the ball. She wants to get past the player and try break the tackle and get a goal. So I think, you know, that's going to be vital for Cork Um if they're going to have a chance on Sunday, they're going to have to stop the likes of Miriam, Denise, because even Denise Gall had a, maybe an off game in the semi-final as well. So matchups are going to be a big thing. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be a real tactical battle. You know, Brian Dowling and his management team are got their matchups spot on against Galway. And they're going to have to do the very same against Cork on Sunday. But again, like as we spoke, Davy Fitz there in with Cork, they could try anything. Um, and and they, they watched that semi-final between Kilkenny and Galway um so closely. So I think matchups are going to be a massive thing. Um, but the, the midfield battle is the key area for me. And as we've seen in some of these tight games, obviously the subs bench comes into play in a very important factor as well. Who's got the stronger subs bench, Ursula? 
Yeah, well, if you look ahead, probably uh, in the semi-final, uh, Cork's bench probably made that difference. Obviously, Ashling Thompson came on, but she will be starting on Sunday. But who I was really impressed with, Emma Murphy, who came on for Cork, you know, she won a 45 and scored scored a point for Cork to put him ahead for the first time in the game. Um, I would probably say, though, Kilkenny have the stronger bench. They have a few more options, you know, and uh, even their captain, Aoife Prendergast, you know, she's an excellent player. I played against her in the club. And having someone like her, even in the subs, to come on is brilliant. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what 15 Kilkenny go, go with because they've had a nice little bit of chopping and changing. Neve Daly, you know, started the semi final, but, you know, uh, had been injured during the year. So they, 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 they seem to have that greater um, backup in, in, the, in the subs, and that could really make a big difference on Sunday. One thing that stood out as well from the semi-finals was just the lack of a crowd. And I think we spoke about this before, Ursula. I mean, only 3,382 at, at the semi-finals. I mean, you look at the women's game. Obviously, it was the final last weekend. What's going on there? Why is Camogie so behind uh, the LGFA? Yeah, it's very disappointing. And when, I, you know, and we even spoke, I remember speaking to you after the league final as well. And it was, you, you could hear the players and management talk on the field to play because the numbers were so, so low. And it is a worry because you look at the ladies football finals last weekend and the massive crowds and we seem to be lagging behind. And I, I'm not sure what it is really. Like it, it's disappointing because obviously this is the biggest stage and the biggest day for Camogie. We're going to have three fantastic finals. The standard is very, very high. Um, obviously it's going to be on television. It's going to be on radio, but you want to get the bums on the seats as well. And I don't know, are we doing enough to push that or to promote it within the clubs? Um, it, I would hope for a big crowd, but I, I still worry that we are lagging behind. Like, I think if we get 20, 22,000 people there on Sunday, we're going to be doing well. But is that good enough? You know, I know when I was back playing, like when Wexford were playing, you know, we probably had that 10 years ago. So we should be moving on, but we don't seem to be hitting the 30,000 or the 35,000 mark. So it's something that is going to have to be looked at, but it is a worry. Um, and when you're trying to compete against ladies football and different um, other sports, it is a worry that we're not getting the, the big crowds. Um, and I'd encourage so many people to get out there on Sunday because even as a neutral, I really enjoy the, the finals because you can sit back, you're looking at the best players in Ireland and on the pitch, on the best pitch in Ireland. So um, hopefully we'll get three brilliant games um, and a big crowd there too. Like even the semi-finals, the senior semi-finals on a Crow Park, just and every player, of course, wants to play in Crow Park, and you can understand that. But you know, is there that argument then to take it to a different venue? But then you know they want to play at Crow Park, so you can understand both sides. Yeah, but it's just felt lost. I, I see both sides of it. Um, like we we when I was playing at Wexford, we played the majority of our semi-finals in Nolan Park, and if you ask any player. The atmosphere there was so, so electric. It was brilliant. Um, and the crowd felt in around you when you were playing the match. Whereas in Crow Park, it can get lost. Like I won a club all Ireland in December in, in Nolan Park. And it didn't take away from the fact that we won it in Nolan Park. I know Crow Park is the be all and end all. And everyone wants to get the opportunity to play there. But I think sometimes you have to maybe think what's better for the game. What's better for the atmosphere, the enjoyment of it? And sometimes I do think maybe it needs to be brought to a smaller venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it, it probably will need to be looked at. So just to wrap, uh, tell us how this final is going to be played out, Ursula, and give us your winner. 
Oh God, um, I've probably changed my uh, mind about 10 times uh, in the last few days about who I think it's going to win. I think there's very, very, very little between both teams. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. Um, And I think if either team can get a goal maybe early on to settle them, I think that will be vital because I think the two defences are very, very strong. So I think it's going to be a battle of who can get one over uh, each of the the defence. But for me, there's something about Cork. Um, Cork being Cork, you know, as I said, they lost the final last year. They lost the league final. I think maybe they're hurting a little bit more. Um, and these girls, these younger girls like Fiona Keaton, Kleena Healy, these girls have got a little bit more experience now playing in Crow Park. Sometimes when you've got that hurt of losing finals, it can drive you on as a added motivation to get one um, over a team. Um, and their record against Kilkenny in finals has been really, really impressive. Like out of the last five finals between the two teams, Cork have won four, Kilkenny won. So even Kilkenny will be thrilled that I'm back in Cork again. Um, but I think it's going to go down to the wire. It could very easily be a draw. But if I'm putting my name, uh, putting a team out there now, I'm going to go with Cork. Okay, so it is. Ursula, thanks a million for that. No bother. Well, that's it from us on The Throwing. You can listen, rate and follow on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Bye for now. This is an Irish independent podcast.